This is Insight with Roz, a radio broadcast brought to you on podcast by I'mJustSaying.com, independent of the good opinion of others. Hello, I'm Roz. Thanks for joining me on Insight, where we're not afraid to look at life in 3D and tackle the tough topics. All through the prism of hood feminism. My special guests spread a modern miracle, the one thing that is guaranteed to make life better for all. Meet Mr. and Mrs. Love. Actually, they are Mandy and Colin Baptiste, who open their home to those who are some of the most vulnerable people in our society, many of whom are already victims of neglect and abuse and often carry the scars, both psychologically and sometimes physically. Children who are put into the foster care system as a last resort. Insight on fostering with this black Christian couple asks, with six children of their own, why foster? I'm enamoured of the work that my guests do. I have been chasing this couple for over a year, so it is my pleasure to actually have them here. (laughs) Thank you for joining me here on Insight, where we look at life in 3D and tackle the tough topics. There's nothing greater, more difficult, than the love we can have for children and bringing up children. And you know all about that. Mandy and Colin, we are going to look at fostering so to kick it off can i ask you who are you and what do you do we'll start with you amanda because it's always ladies first thank you my name is amanda baptiste and i'm a foster parent i make jewelry so i make engagement rings and wedding rings and i I also teach in hatton garden how to make jewelry so those are my three hats And before that, I was a youth worker for 17 years. So I was a youth and community worker. And I worked for Lambeth. Mm, Let's forget about the fostering and talk about diamond and emerald rings. Can I have one? (laughs) End of the the formal... (laughs) So you work with diamonds, gold and silver? Yeah, and platinum as well. And platinum? Yeah, I've just come back from Hatton Garden because I was setting a stone... For a client i was just finishing off the ring so you have a background working with children yes i i've worked with children for maybe 17 years um and i'm also a qualified counselor but i really specialized in pregnancy crisis centers um i worked for a center called crossroads mm-hmm. and we used to do counseling there for either pre or pregnancy crisis or post-abortion crisis. Do you have children of your own? Yes, we have six children of our own. How did you manage six children and all, all of that youth work that you were doing? And it's quite demanding work. I used to drag them to the youth club with me. (laughs) So they grew up at the youth club and they enjoyed all the activities that we organised at the youth club. So it was really good for them and it gave them a good sort of perspective regarding life and just you know just work and enjoying it, different types of activities in, in, in a safe environment. Mandy that's really demanding work that you do in this day and age where people don't seem to have time and energy where do you find the love how have you found the love for all these years the love's just there and it's about bringing it out and expressing it in everything you do and that's so the love it's me (laughs) that's all i can be is love Um, oh wow was brought up and i just want to share it you know my mother loves me enough to give me pocket money every week still Does she want to adopt a child? I'm available. (laughs) But she shows her love that way. and She phones me twice a day, every day. So I've come from a loving family. So it's very easy for me. Thank you for sharing that. Colin, you blessed man, you. Yo. Who are you? What do you do? (laughs) Who am I? I'm a wonderful man. That's who I am. What do I do? I think probably my first thing is being a teacher during the day. I teach computer science and IT. 
I've always loved technology, have a great love for technology and gadgets and mathematical type stuff. I grew up in a, in a family of four, four kids. My mum used to be, was a childminder. All the four of us used to get involved in helping with uh, looking after the kids. And this is back in the 70s, 80s. So we had lots of kids in the house, man. It was fun. And also at one point, my mum and dad did fostering and fostered a young man, Julian, many years ago. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away some years ago. Yeah, lovely guy. Lovely guy. He, he was our brother. He was part of the family. So um, There's a lot of experience there. You have experience through teaching. And even before that, experience through your parents with childminding and having been part of a foster family. Yep, yep. Ch children is what we do best. Us fostering mm. is because I can say we do children good. We know how to do kids. Yeah. What does that look like? It means if you come to my house, you're going to leave with a smile. Anybody who comes to my house is going to leave changed with their bellies full or they're going to have some fun or they're going to have something in their pocket or something or that's something that they've learnt you know they will leave changed i grew up in a large family and there were always people in and out of the house so i love the vibe i love the energy so you've got six children today how did you manage with friends friends tend to double the size of the family we know all our kids most of our kids friends obviously that's changed over the years but when they were growing up we knew we knew their friends and their friends would come over to the house for their um, weekly devotions christian devotions because we are a christian family that's um, something that i really want to explore a little bit later on as faith had been used as a barrier to allowing individuals to foster but we'll explore that later. With six children, people may be listening in and thinking, why bother to foster? Because you have all those children. So I guess that's got to be the question. Why did you want to foster? Well, I mean, well, it became before that. Um, Even our, our last girl is adopted. But she was too, Mandy saw her and she was working with her and her parents and she came up for adoption. And we said, yeah, let's do that. Uh, it was about two and a half years ago, a fr friends of ours who were social workers kept on saying, why don't you foster? And we thought, no, our children have grown up and the youngest was 19 at the time. And Colin came to a crossroad regarding work and said, you know what, I want to come out of teaching and I would like to go back and maybe study a bit more. So we said, OK, fine. At the same time, a friend who was a social worker said, we're looking for foster carers, please will you join our agency? So we thought, okay, Colin will be around a lot more if he's studying. And my jewellery business was growing, but not to a point where I was busy all the time. And so we decided that we would go down the route of looking into foster caring. And before we knew it, um, we were being assessed and our Form F <laughs> were being done and um, we became foster carers. So that's how it came about. That brings me nicely to this question. I've heard and I've read that the process is necessarily bureaucratic and complicated given that we are dealing with children. We mustn't lose sight of the fact that we are dealing with children who are vulnerable. They're in foster care as a last resort. And often many are abused and neglected. So I think the checks are very important. That said, so this is a twofold question. How did you find the process? And was it necessarily complex and bureaucratic or unnecessarily complex? And bureaucratic. They do do a thorough check of you, of your background, of your past relationships, of contacts. They have to because they need to know that you're a safe home to come into. They also talk to your children and make sure that, well, all of them, to make sure that they're happy with us fostering as well. That's so important. And the process usually takes, uh, it could take three months to a year in terms of all the checks that are done in order to prepare you. It is very complex. 
it is detailed, but once you've gone through it and you stay with the agency, the only thing you will have to then redo is your CRB every is it every year or every, every three year, years, yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just to make sure that you haven't got any criminal record or any, any crimes against you. How do you manage the complexities of children who are in care, these children who are likely to be vulnerable? There must be a lot of strain with that, more so than the ordinary teenager. And let's face it, I was a teenager. It's not the easiest of times. And teenagers... <laughs> Speaking from personal experience, of course, yeah. are not the easiest of people. There's an element of treating them as your own in that uh, you love them. And But one thing I have learned, I think we have learned, and something I, I, I think is important that anybody that's considering foster caring must, must uh, bear in mind, they are not your children. And they will come with different upbringings, different... Uh, pro- issues, problems, trauma, and the, as you said, the issue is to really help them, help the process of them healing mm. from what it is that they've been through. Yeah. And what we provide is a warm, loving home where they have the opportunity to be themselves. They will push the boundaries and we know they'll push the boundaries. But part of the profession of foster caring is being able to recognize when those triggers may come and then to deal with them in some sort of strategic way. And the triggers will tend to come after maybe three months of placement. That child will be on the honeymoon period for the first three months. And then they will begin to push boundaries just to make sure that you want them because of them rather than from you know what they bring with them well trauma they will bring trauma but with that trauma you you can't push them to talk about their trauma all you can do is love them in terms of let them know that they're in a safe but secure environment let them know that all their needs are being met in terms of warmth caring you know, the Maslow. Roof over their heads. Roof over their heads. Yeah, and that they are accepted. We've learned that if we're we're not sure of of the child that's under our roof, we will actually begin to take them out, find out what their interests are, and then motivate them to actually take hold of those interests. We had a young man and he, he didn't like going out and he'd never been to a pet shop. And we took him to a pet shop just to have a look around. It was the two other children we had. And before we knew it, we came back with two hamsters. Cage and everything. Cages and everything. And he loved it. It's incredible that it just sort of softened him. And he was able to care for something else other than trying to care for himself. And he looked after the hamster really well. And, you know, they would feed clean the cage out, feed the hamster, play with it during the day. And it, it was lovely. When I had our meeting with the social service, social workers and his guardian, they couldn't believe the change they saw in this young man. And all it took was for us to take him to the pet shop and say, here, here's a hamster. It's not always as easy as that. But in that case, that worked him yeah. because this is a podcast people will not see the warmth and smile that i saw emanate from you mandy as you told that story so it leads me to how do you let go of these children when the time comes if you have that much warmth that much love and i just saw it in the story you told how do you say bye i think in and everything it, it's like uh it's it's a it's a job and you still keep in contact but you know when you can't go any further, when you've done all that you, you've done everything that you can do for that child. You've brought them to a level, but sometimes that child becomes stuck and you know that maybe it's time to go to somewhere else. And I think with, with me, one of the children, he'd got to the age of 14, but I was still ironing his shirt and doing everything for him. But he needed to become more independent. We recognised that he needed to go somewhere else where he could actually have that independence because he wasn't getting it. Even though I tried to 
give him more responsibility, we would then slip back into old routines. That is one of the times that you have to let go. And another time is when the mum or the dad or the family have sorted themselves out and the child can move back into a safe environment. But you know that you skilled the children up with knowing how to look after themselves, how to keep themselves clean, going to bed on time and things like that. So when they go back into that environment, they've gone with new skills. And that's so, so important. And we still keep in touch with our the children that we've fostered. They will phone us and we will phone them. And we will now, you know, Colin will organise for us to go out for the day, maybe bowling or having pizza or something. But you never really let go in, you know, in, in a way. There's another child who, who went over to Paris to her dad and yesterday we received a parcel from dad. Just He sent some books and some sweet love heart sweeties and he keeps on saying, you know, I can't thank you enough for what you did for my daughter while she lived under your roof. What are the circumstances that you have experienced for children being in care? So you just told me about a father who was in Paris. Where was the mother? Why was fostering necessary? Um, to do with neglect, to do with abuse, to do with a child just being in a foster care in environment and it just doesn't match. You know, it doesn't match like a glove. And so they may come into care. There's some of the reasons. It could be a re- refugee, young people that have come over and they need to go into foster care. It could be a young mum, a single mum, mother and baby. You know, there, there's ver- lots of various reasons. It could be mum at this moment in time is under a lot of stress. So she goes to the social services and she says, you know what, I just need time out. We just take my children for a couple of months so I can restart and then I want them back. There's all sorts of reasons why children come into care. And that's just a small portion of those reasons. What made my ears prick up, and I think this may be true for listeners as well, was the idea of a mother needing time out. Why would a mother need time out? We don't know what place the mum's coming from. We don't know what what her journey is, um, where she's been. She's cared for her children, but she just recognises that, especially with the COVID and everything else, I just need, I need some time out, I need space because I want to be the best and do the best for my children and the best at this moment in time is for me to step back. If I'm putting words into your mouth, tell me. Yes, I will. But it almost seems as if perhaps these mothers have no families that they can turn to? Yeah, very much so. Or if they have families, they're not supportive because that's the other thing that was so important for Colin and myself we had supportive you know um extended family and and friends as well especially at church um so when I first had um my my first child and we didn't have a proper childcare, we had to call in our friends from church to keep an eye on the children just for a little while Colin, do you want to jump in and add something there? Please. If you're a single parent and you've got four kids during Christmas holidays or, you know, summer holidays, you know, under 12, that's, that's a lot of stress. It's not, that's not easy. That's not easy. So um, I, I could well imagine somebody crying out for help somewhere. And if uh, family is not available for help, who, who do you turn to? Do you think this is something that society has always needed? That single women need a break from their children and society now recognises it? Or would you say that those born post-1976 are a weaker strand and that they are less able to manage? How would you call it? Wow. Are are our young people less robust? I think there are far more distractions um, for and, and less use of imagination by our young people yes to an extent they they are less robust and lack here's the point they lack vision they lack direction and they lack maybe hope or uh, they lack possibilities and I say this thing because I know this to be true particularly in my teaching where um, 
when students are writing their personal statements for UCAS, um, if they get that far, and some of the statements just are very shallow and do not reflect some of the potential that those those young people have. And so I'm trying to, the job, my job is to try to tease out of them. What is it that you've been doing? Have you been, have you, have you, been in a leadership situation or have you been helping people or what is it that you've done outside of your your academic studies so that person can seem to be a bit more rounded than just an academic who's you know uh, studying a BTEC it's about helping young people to find their individuality what makes you different what have you done that makes me remember you and that's something that I really push in my class I take that but I'm not sure we fully tackled the question of is the current generation less robust than the generation of yesteryear? Because I know as people are listening to this, that is the sort of thoughts that some people have. But you have a wider experience, so share it. Mm. <laughs> that is a tough one. I can't say whether mothers today, young people today are in that context are they less strong because the situations are different? And uh, those, those, those mothers, fathers as well, are having to navigate the system and still trying to you know, bring their kids up the best way they can. I, I'm just thinking about um, a couple of my students where I've uh, had to uh, speak to the mothers and fathers about their young people, about their, their, their children, and um, and I can see, and this is a Zoom call, and I can see from their their situation that this mother, in this case, it was a mother I was talking to, this mother is working flipping hard, man. She's working hard in order to try and just put. She doesn't know anything about IT, but she knows that she wants something good for her son, so she's going to work. She has to leave the son at home. The boy is 16, so he's, he's all right. She goes to work and she comes back and she just, you know, put food on the table. It's hard. So when I see this young man, I said to tell him, you know, I might be an IT teacher, but listen, I'm a parent too. And if you're not even washing the dishes, you are a student. Your job is to be a student. And your mom is giving you the opportunity to be a student so that you can do better. And what are you doing? I noticed you were talking about a mother and mothers, particularly single mothers, get a lot of bad press. I'm not expecting an answer on a national level because you might not have that information. So in your experience, are children in care predominantly from single parent households? No. A large proportion of children are coming into care that have been adopted and then the adoption has broken down. And, and they're back into the care system. That's sad. That's really sad. It's a double whammy that you've been in care, you've been adopted, and then the adoption doesn't work. I mean, you've adopted the child. That's one I don't understand. I'm having difficulties getting my head around. Our daughter, who's now 20, she came to us when she was two, two and a half. She's our she's our daughter. That's the end of end of story. She's our daughter. Yeah, um, but we can't really comment regarding the breakdown. No, no, we, 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 we it's all know. reasons, all sorts of reasons that we certainly heard this. You know, some people have values such that they will, they expect a child to be a certain way. And when a child doesn't comply with those values, that's an issue for the, for the carer. And if they can see that they can't manipulate or you know get the child to do what they want that could be an issue for for the breakdown yeah that that's just a scenario it just doesn't sound emotionally right the adoption doesn't work and it was trying to think why if i follow it through natural parents put children into care adoptive parents can end up in the same place yeah certainly the referrals i've been seeing there are a fair number of you know, two-parent families yeah. that 
where the relationship has broken down or one has been domestically violent to the others yeah. and so the the children have seen mm. this this violence um and uh yeah. you know there's all sorts of different reasons reasons yeah. it's not always a single a single parent yeah. it's it's certainly yeah we've seen mm. a fair share of uh, of um various Dual, dual parents. Yeah. So it's nice to dispel that myth because somebody might be listening and thinking, oh, it's too nah, no, no, it's not. It's, it, that is a myth. I noticed whilst we were speaking earlier that religion came up and it's very central as a platform, as a tenant in yours and Mandy's life. Mm. Given your religious proclivities, would you foster a child who was gay? The child has come to you because of the issue but if you're looking at the issue right the child shouldn't be with you in the first place you're, you're there to provide a safe environment for the child whatever <laughs> their sexuality is and and hoping that by the way you've nurtured that child and supported that child that they would make a decision being informed with the right information later on in life but if they come into our, our home, they will actually come into a home where they will see a loving husband and wife. But we also support. Yeah, um, we support the child. Yeah. And, and whatever issues they've got. We can't have a, oh, he's gay. Yeah. Or, um, therefore, uh, this is not right. And that is just so bigoted. Yeah. It just doesn't. Uh, help the child to grow, to find themselves, to discover who they are, yeah. because that might be, you know, it, a phase. It, it's just a, yeah. whatever it is, whatever the situation yeah. is, we're accepting of them. We're accepting of them. Mm. And, you know, and that's again, is part of the part of the faith it's an acceptance of, well. of, of who you are mm -hmm. and we love you. Yeah. What, Ever your situation is, you're a child, you need to be looked after, need to be uh, cared for, cared for nurtured, mm. and, um, and we have to consider your, your needs, and, uh, and we have to do what we can in order to help, uh, in order to ensure that those needs are met. Yeah. Ought a foster family's background in terms of class and religion be considerations before they foster. In terms of class and, and religion. religion, for instance, before they foster. Not necessarily. I've got to say that Christianity is is an absolute bedrock for us. Yeah. It is a, a real, real living faith. Yeah. Every man is uh, driven by a set of morals, rules, values, and. Um, it just so happens that our values are based on things around love and forgiveness and treating others better than yourselves. And these are all principles that, not, I suppose, not so much in Christianity. You'll find them in other faiths as well. But those attributes are the basis for fostering love forgiveness long-suffering kindness gentleness endurance tenacity all those things that are built into a human being and they are there in varying degrees if you have those qualities and you know that those qualities can be put in a place to help a child then then you're in a good position to and you can show that then you're in a good position to be a foster carer i think and also i think the child themselves needs to know that they are loved and they're not going to be pushed from pillar to post mm. and they need just to feel secure. And if you can offer them that, that's all you need to offer them. And just treat them as you would treat them, your own children, but within the boundaries of foster care. Yeah. Do your children ever say to you or recognise within themselves the change from being with you? So you think as a Christian family, you'd be able to raise a Muslim child? Yes, yes, because there's a need. There's a lot of work to do that because you have to be very aware of their, uh, the requirements in terms of cooking, for instance, and the food that they would eat. 
regular visits to mosques. These are things that I'm thinking about. As this is not necessarily what I've experienced, but certainly these are the sorts of things I would have to consider when looking after a Muslim child. But that would not stop us, and we have had to consider that, but that would not stop us from uh, choose, yeah, having a, a Muslim child in our home. Well, that leads us to the difficult and the nuanced question of race. Last year, Sandeep and Rina Manda won a race discrimination case after their local authority told them they couldn't adopt a white child because of cultural heritage. They successfully challenged the decision. As we speak, there are over 2,500 children who are waiting to be adopted with 40% spending 18 months or more on the list and black children are waiting the longest to be placed. Given that, is transracial fostering a good idea? Can it work? And is it the same for black people being adopted by white people as it is for white children being adopted by black people? There's a lot there, so let's chow down on it. I mean, we've had white Polish children in our home, and uh, that was a lovely experience. I mean, it was weird at first for, for both sides, as we would take them to school and the, the questions would be, you know, what is your, you know, is that your dad? Or, you know, we have to talk about how do we explain my presence with you? You know, oh, I just say that you're a friend of the family. So, all right, that's fine because my name's Uncle Colin to them, you see, Uncle Colin and Auntie Mandy. They were with us a couple of years. We're still in contact with them. They still talk, talk about us. They still drop, uh, you know, give us calls. And we have a wonderful relationship. But it was all about trying to find wh what food do you like? You know, what food do Polish people eat? Or what is the things that mum used to cook for you? What about language? And um, how can we help you not forget? Because one of the complaints was, I think I'm, I'm forgetting my language. So we go out and get some DVD DVDs or language tapes that would, you know, or storybooks, storybooks or story tapes that, um, you know, have the language on there. Assuredly, Colin and Mandy, you have shown us the success of a black foster family raising white children. But it doesn't appear to work the other way around. I'm drawing on the experience of people like Natalie Jeffers or indeed the work done by the Joseph Roundtree Foundation or the work undertaken by the Adoption and Fostering Agency. They've found across the board that non-white children are welcomed into white households but they're expected to think and behave as the adoptive or fostering family and not see themselves as racially different? So the nuances of racial interplay, the subtleties and aggression of racism are missed. The outcome of such a cocooned upbringing has meant that as children and later as adults, individuals were culturally bereft and ill-equipped to come to terms with their own racial identity and to deal with race and racism which is prevalent in our society. So they grew up seeing themselves through the prism of a white skin colour. Can it really work the other way round? This is one of the big questions of our time but you know we tackle the tough topics here on Insight. No, I was going to say that when, I, when we had those Polish kids we did love them and we looked after them and did the best that we could for them. But we are not Polish and we just do not understand the, the nuances of, of where they come from, the things that mummy would have said or done. Or we, yeah, we would do the best that we could. So I would say then there will be problems the other way around. Yeah, a well-meaning white, white uh, foster carer, assuming they will have the best intentions, but there will be a cultural void because there's a not necessarily the understanding of the heritage, the cultural heritage of the child, the, the black child. That's a tricky one. Um, I, I know, as Colin has said, that um, two of the children we were fostering were white. Yeah, it was tricky. And yes, we had to learn about their culture. But 
if a foster carer is willing to go the extra mile for that child, um, I think it can be possible. I think that the the, the um, problem stems is if the child is in a location where there is not a lot of, uh, it's not an ethnical, um, cultural area. If it's an area where you're seeing black, the diversity of, of you know, different nationalities. I think it's, yes, they can. If they're living in the country, I think that's a whole different ball game. We fostered white children and it's worked. It was awkward to begin with. What happened in the end was that we just saw the child as a child, not white or black, but as a child that needed to be looked after and nurtured. And that's what we did. And when we needed to bring mum on board, i.e. parents evening, etc. I would go invite mom and then let the teachers know that I was there to support mom, even though we were foster carers. I would never push my way in because at the end of the day, mom was mom. Again, going back to love is important and just giving the child what they need. And I've seen that that uh, the social workers involved in cases like this, they are always trying to get the right cultural match. Black children are disproportionately in foster care. What, what would you say to the listeners who are black to encourage them to foster those children? It, it is about love and uh, a love for those who need it. And our young men and our young ladies, they need our love. They need the benefit of the experience that we've had, the benefit of our expertise, of our professionalism, of our whole experience and, and of life. And if there's some way that those children can be given a benefit and that can be provided by you, by you as a potential foster carer, then I would say, please step to the plate. To encourage more black foster carers, because there is a crisis in that particular sector, do you think it should be more incentivised? I mean, more money given. At the moment, I think it's £32,000 for inner London. Perhaps more secure housing. And should single people be allowed to foster, to take these children out of the local authority care that they might be in? That might be an incentive when you say more secure housing. The people have, I've spoken to who said, Oh, I would love to be able to do that, but we don't have enough room. That's been quite a common response. You know, when I've mentioned that I'm a foster carer, lots of people would love to be able to do that, but don't have the resources. You can be a single carer as well. You don't have to be, you don't have to be married to or in a relationship um, to become a foster carer. Let's look at another angle, which may be a bit more myth-busting. Is fostering worth it? Is it about the money? Or is it a case, as my mother used to say, you children cost more money than your father actually earns? And that's so true. We found that it worked out to, is it a penny an hour? <laughs> or something yeah. like that. It's a 24-hour job, it's isn't it? A 24-hour job. It's like a penny an hour anyway. And we found that most of our money went back to the children. And plus you're using your home. So, you know, there's gas, electricity and all food, you name it. You know, it's, it's all of those. You can be better off in some ways, but it all depends your mindset when you go into foster care. And are you going in just for the money or and, and if that's the case, then yes, you can make lots of money. Or are you going into it in order to make a child's life better? And if it's the second reason, then you know what? <laughs> you will spend the money um, <laughs> on them. You know, yeah, you will not go to Primarks and buy the late, latest, but you, if you they're going decent. to still have got something, you, you go to Sports Direct or JD and you buy them the trainers. You don't buy them the cheapest of everything. You buy them quality stuff because, of, as we found out, you know, kickers. You know, I, I did the, I went down Clark's and I've done it with my kids and it didn't last. But when I put them in kickers, it lasted them at least a year. I love kickers. I yeah, still wear kickers. Same here. I... You dropped me or fostered me. Head <laughs> 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 Mandy. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry, Colin. <laughs> no, I was going to say that one of our kids had the aspiration of being a pilot. And uh, I love the whole flying thing. And I've taken flying lessons in the past. But we had an opportunity, drove down to south south side what was it south sea somewhere and in a hangar and they have this 737 aircraft a simulator so we paid for that for him and myself to go down there and for him to find out what it would be like to be a pilot it was phenomenal ordinarily i might not have done that it was a great opportunity to say look i'm going to take the kid down and we're going to go and have some fun so it it was a really good day for, for the two of us. We sat in the cockpit flying from London to Manchester in this 737, you know, and uh, we had the pilot there to help us to put, you know, land her properly. It was a great experience. Yeah. Also, you know, um, the children enjoyed skating through Portland Skate. And my son enjoys skating as well. So he used to take them down and they used to all go skating together or swimming or whatever the child enjoyed doing. We would give them a taste and if they wanted to continue, we would then put them in for the activity. Another child loved drama. Good. Oh, yeah. yeah. Karate. Karate. Yeah, doing karate with me and uh, each week they get a karate lesson. So, yeah. you know, just providing for them a little taste of something that maybe they want to keep it up mm. that helps provide some discipline some regularity some activities you know something to look forward to how many children have you fostered five children i think it's so important i want to encourage everybody to be a foster carer i don't think any children should be growing up in care so mandy sell it to us why should listeners go for it and become foster carers we went through the journey with our own children and we enjoyed it but it's a bit like having grandchildren in a way that we have more time the second time around we have more fun the second time around okay you've got your meetings and you've got your issues but you know we have had so much fun you know we've gone to the seaside go for drives we we just have so much fun but we can do it relaxed now knowing what the boundaries are but still enjoying ourselves and allowing the children to enjoy themselves at the same time. So it is rewarding, especially when the guardian or the the social worker says, we've really seen a difference in this child. We can't believe it's the same child. Colin, for you, what is the magic that makes this worthwhile? I remember one of our kids, it was uh, one of the Polish girls, we, we, took her to school and well what happened we we she'd got a project to do and uh she'd been with us a few days and she's got this project to do on on um the fire of london and so literally the 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 whole family got around her and her brother and um we designed a little a little project that she could do in order to create some sort of montage for the fire of london and mandy's quite crafty not crafty as in... Uh, oh, I was wondering. <laughs> arts and crafts. Arts and crafts. So she helped. It was a great family time. We did lots of colouring and sticking and gluing and all that sort of mm. stuff. And then the little girl was so well engrossed in what was going on. And the next day, I had the privilege of taking her to school. And I tell you what, that's, where, so that's, that's where the magic is. Yeah. That's where the magic is. Because you watch this child walk into school with this, wow. proudly holding this project mm-hmm. that she knows what went into it. And, you know, I don't know if it's the first time she's been able to do something like that, but mm-hmm. she felt good and you could see it on her. Yeah. And, and then also to get feedback from teachers the schools the the, the authorities to say this child was you know quiet tired unkempt uh she's transformed to a bright little button to a a, a a chatty young lady um, confident you know transformed yeah and then the school actually teachers etc expressing their delight 
and the gratefulness that this young child has been changed. That's where the magic is. That's where the magic is. Beautiful. Do the children recognise that as foster children, they themselves have changed? Yeah. That when we picked up the, the two, we, we drove outside our house because I had to pick something up and they just said, Auntie Mandy, could we, could we just go and look at our bedrooms? And, you know, and they just ran up in the house. They had the freedom to run up their house. <laughs> and then a couple of weeks ago, one of the children who's now 10, she phoned me and she was on the phone for an hour and a half. And I was thinking on WhatsApp and, and FaceTime me. And I was thinking, I've got to go, I've got to go. But she just wanted to talk. And mum is in, still in contact with this. So anytime the children are ill or mum isn't sure about something, she'll actually phone us and say, she's going through this, what can I do? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, this is what I used to do. It's, it's just an extended family. It is, you, you feel that you've done something worthwhile for somebody else. You've made a difference to their lives. What else do you need um, in terms of accolades than, than that? It really is rewarding. It's, it's, yeah, it's just, yeah. Yeah, it's good. We are going into the quick fire round. Mandy, when did you first respect yourself? Oh, dear. <laughs> I think when I was about nine. <laughs> Colin, when did you first respect yourself? Probably in my 20s. When I, yeah, it's about taking myself seriously. Probably in my 20s, I think. Colin, what qualities do you look for in a partner? I look for um, humour, support and listening and conversation and, and humour, conversation, but also strength, because I don't know everything and I can't do everything, so... Mandy, what's the best thing about being an adult? About being an adult is you can make your own decision. I, I live with consequences. <laughs> I, think that, I think that. And you learn from your mistakes. And Mandy, what's the best thing about being a woman? About being a woman is... <laughs> She'd rather be a man. It's about being married to my husband, I think, and having my children. I think they're the best things about being a woman. I wanted six children and that's what I have. And you know, it's I I I just love being a woman, um, listening to them, letting them make me up and tell me if I'm looking okay or not. Um, you know, mom, you're not looking too good. <laughs> Try something else on. I think all those things are like they're, you know, in terms of the children and their honesty, just being me. Yeah. Colin, what's the hardest thing about being a man? Yes, yeah, just uh, getting a balance between leadership and responsibility and a lot and, and acceptance. I suppose what I'm saying is we have a lot of fun in this house. Uh, in a way, I'm a bit passive. But when daddy has to be daddy, I will put my foot down. Yeah, I will do what needs to be done. I will say what needs to be said because it's important. And, um, and that's, a risk, that's a part of my respecting myself and respecting my family. Hey, listen, these questions, they come up randomly, so don't blame me, okay? Um, So, Mandy, do women need men? No. (laughs) Colin, are men just a little above women? Are men just a little above women? No, I don't think so. I think so. Don't think so. I mean, look, I mean... No. No, no. Um, because we're together, we're one. We 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 are two halves. We come together, and even if you're not married, and stuff, you just you just are, and and we're just different, differently put together. Mandy, can you romantically be in love with two people at the same time? No. Colin, if you could tell your 15-year-old self one thing, what would that one thing be? 15-year-old self. <laughs> Invest in Apple shares. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, buy Apple shares. Mandy, what would make you scared to go into somebody's home if you had to go into their home to care for them? Uh, about the time. Um, how long it's, it, the caring is going to go on for, I think. Just the commitment, I think. Colin, what gives you hope in a seemingly hopeless world? That in the end... 
we win. Mandy, what gives you hope in a seemingly hopeless world? Um, my relationship with Christ. That gives me hope, it fills me with love. And yeah, yeah, it's my faith. Thank you for sharing that with me. We are almost at the end, but I need from each of you one question to give to the next person or persons that are going to be sitting in the hot seat. So whoever next zooms in with me gets to hear the questions from you. So let's start with you, Mandy. What's your question? Who do you most admire and has had an impact to your life? Who do you most admire who has had an impact on your life? Yeah, it's two questions, really. Sorry. And over to you, Colin, for your question. Where do you go when you want to be on your own or relax? I look forward to my future guests answering both of those questions. Thank you so very much for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you are expecting new foster children today, but I appreciate you taking the time out to be here with me on Insight and giving us a window into the joys, the love and the happiness of being foster parents and the miracles that you work by doing that. It's the perfect New Year's podcast because you two have been so inspirational, so full of love, so positive. It's, it's happened when it was meant to happen. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted it for a while, but I couldn't <laughs> have honestly timed it better than to have the show after Christmas being about the love and affection that you as a couple show the children that you open up your home for. So thank you so much for that. It's a wrap. Remember, you can catch all my broadcasts and never miss a show. I'm on all the major podcast platforms. Just press the follow button above or below. Be gentle with yourself. This is Insight with Roz, a radio broadcast brought to you on podcast by I'mJustSaying.com, independent of the good opinion of others.